Okay. Welcome everybody. Uh, welcome uh, to the second of five of Emotions in Halakha with Rabbani Victoria Sutton. Um, as you come into the Zoom room, I'm going to invite you to become a panelist. That just means that if you so choose, you can turn on your camera so we can see your lovely faces. Um, and if the Rabbani invites you to, you can unmute yourself to ask any comments or questions. Um, when you're not speaking, we just ask that you keep yourself on mute so that everyone can hear each other and there's not too much background noise. Um, you're very welcome to put your comments and questions um, in the chat, uh, or you can put your hand up and the Rabbani will ask, uh, will invite you to unmute. Um, I will be sharing the source sheet in the chat for anyone who didn't get it by email or doesn't have it open right now. And uh, with that, I will hand it over to Rabbanit Sutton. Well, thank you. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, if you were not here last week, I'm just going to encourage you um, to join as a panelist. Um, I'd love as much participation um, to hear in the comments. I'll be asking people to put things in the comments. And if you have questions, you can um, raise your hand on, yeah, and, uh, and then we can um, have a conversation. Um, so whether you were here or not last week, um, welcome. Um, each class will um, in some ways build on the other, but really be standalone. So whether or not, you know, if you know others who might want to come, um, they don't have to have been this week. Every week we'll be looking at a different emotion um, or a different kind of state of being or state of mind that the rabbis talk about. And tonight's topic is simcha, is joy. Um, there are I mean, hundreds of books on uh, happiness, the science of happiness. I think every day I get recommendations for articles to read about the science of happiness, what will make us happy, what are the things we can do every day, what are the practices we can um, put to make us happy. Um, so this class is not going to, you know, um, maybe have any big secrets, um, but we're hoping to look at together some of the main um, main ways that Chazal, that the rabbis and Jewish practice look at the mitzvah to be happy, to make others happy, um, and also um, to sort of be in a state of happiness. Um, I'm going to share my screen, but I'll um, I want to see as if you're comfortable turning off your um, turning on your screen. It would be great to see you. Um, the first source here, many people might be familiar with this source. It's a song. It's a verse from Tehillim. To worship God in gladness and come before God with shouts of joy. Um, as we sort of do a warm-up, I would love to hear from people in the chat. I did this exercise, uh, I mentioned last time that I teach middle schoolers um, at Heschel, and we learned about joy of Sukkot. And we were trying to think about, in general, what does it mean to have joy with a mitzvah? So I encourage you, um, I did this exercise with them, and it was actually really beautiful um, and generative. Um, so if you can think about we're going to go through a lot of details. It's not a source sheet, right? This is personal. Um, if there's a particular practice, like a particular mitzvah that you either come to in a state of joy, like you're excited to approach it and you feel like you bring joy to it, or through doing it, you notice that it brings joy. Um, so don't be shy. I'm going to look at the chat. So again, we're putting in the chat, 
thinking about Iduat Hashem B'Simcha to sort of warm us up for a topic for tonight. Something halal. Okay, and specify, do you come with it a joy? Do you walk out happier or feeling more elated um, than you did before? Um, right, so halal is something that we just experienced as Rosh Chodesh, as a little break in the in the Omer period. Um, right, so we, we have a lot of ups and downs in the Jewish calendar, which we're looking at tonight. And if anyone else feels comfortable um, sharing, I also love halal. I look forward to halal. I look forward to um, the tunes that I'm familiar with. There's something about hearing many other voices singing at the same time um and sort of that that really even if i'm having a regular day in rosh Chodesh doesn't feel like a holiday um that halal can just be that moment of joy um so i love that thank you Lina's. if others want to share um okay a wedding a breach a baby naming for a girl right so we're going to talk a little bit more about those um but are those something that like we psych her up psych ourselves up um I heard that there's a little bit of a hard time hearing. I'm going to try. Is this better? Yes. Less dropping. Okay. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate that. I want everyone to hear and I appreciate you saying it in the beginning. Um, so I want to think about before we jump into the sources, um, some of these are happy occasions that we think about. They're called simachot. They're happy occasions. Are these things that we come to pumped up, ready to give our all? Or are these things that we hope through the experience that they will feed us, that they will lift us up? Um, or is it a little bit of both? Right? What's the responsibility of us to come to things or to sort of show our best selves or give ourselves a little psych up before doing things, um, you know, or participate in these kinds of um, activities? Um, so we're going to look at three different meta areas of Simcha. Um, so the first one is Simchat Yom Tov, uh, which I think, you know, I termed as uh, rejoice now, that there are times on the calendar, right? You mentioned hello, there are times on the calendar, they're sort of like, okay, now's a happy time, right? We're going to be sad times, we're going to be Omer now, but now is happy. What does that mean? What does it mean for it to be a happy time? What are the things that we do? Um, and what are the emotions that we bring or try to cultivate during that time? So that's going to be our first section. Um, our second section is to be misameach, that um, there are mitzvot that we bring joy to others. We're going to think of an overlap between the first and the second, meaning our, is our joy or us enjoying holiday contingent on bringing joy to others. And then the third area is going to be similar to this verse in Tehillim, which is a little bit more elusive, and bismcha, um, to serve God from a place of joy. We're going to spend a lot more time on the first two. The third is an ongoing um, life process, but we will start to unpack that a little bit and hopefully understand a little bit more of what we mean from simcha in Judaism on the first um, few. Um, if you're just, if you're just joining, um, I ask people to put in the chat something, a mitzvah, or um, a practice that either brings them joy um, or that they come to or sort of excited to do in a place of like, they're really happy that this is coming up um, and they look forward to it and they really bring themselves to it. So the first mitzvah, um, Azharot and Shavuot. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have a separate class if you're um, on that as well. That's a custom that I look forward to. But right? then sometimes the um, things that are less frequent 
um, right? Sometimes we really look forward to them because they're so infrequent. They can sort of, there's a lot of pressure on that, um, but it also can bring excitement. Okay, so Simchat Yom Tov, that we have days on the calendar that we're told, Visamachta, that you must be happy. So we're going to look a lot at the Rambam and then some other sources as well, right? So the Rambam uh, reminds us uh, in his Shivitat Yom Tov, which is general rules of holidays, that the seven days of Pesach and the eight days of Sukkot and other holidays, we first of all minimize unhappy or sad activity. Doesn't mean that we don't bury people, right? That's for um, another another time, but that we try to minimize um, that activity. We looked at some of this when we talked about Shabbat. And um, if, what, if you were here last week, we talked about Oneg. Um, we're gonna think about Oneg was, seemed to be a very subjective mental state that it really depended on the person, the things that would bring them pleasure, and make Shabbat a restorative, restful day for them. Um, Simcha seems, we're gonna see, to be a little bit more public. It's days on the calendar, it's public events, especially one and two. We're going to, Simcha is gonna maybe be more active and more public. Um, but we also wanna tap into the emotions that go along with it. Okay, so that's what one shouldn't do. And one is obligated. Be in a good mood, okay which is sometimes kind of hard because of all the prep that you're doing. Um, okay. And not only you, but your household. Again, the Ramam is speaking here in a very sort of gendered patriarchal way, but I think we can think about the people in our orbit, um, whether it's our actual family, you know, that we feel responsible for, or whether it's right, our friends who are like our family, um, whether it's our community, right? There are people in our immediate orbit that sort of we um, maybe get together with them, or we want to make sure that um, they are included in Yom Tov. But what does that mean to bring joy? So he says, It's actually literally a korban. They would have extra meat. It was like this day is so special. We get to have an extra sacrifice and we enjoy it. Okay. But it's actually also included in this, even when we don't bring the sacrifice and even when they, in those days when they did, that everybody should rejoice. And again, we're going to see some here a little bit. Kol echad karaoi lo. We see some of that subjectivity um, that the Ramam is bringing here that we saw also in um, the ideas of Onik. Right? That, that actually not the same things, even though he's going to go into meat and wine, actually, right? We're not only limited to the sacrifice, that maybe joy means different things for different people. Buying new things getting special things um, right, for children, um, for your family, right? getting special gifts. Um, I think, I don't know if anybody, um, if anybody can relate to this, um, but I, I do remember growing up and I see this now with my daughter um, as well. And, and as an adult, like on my own and as an adult, um, that because the holidays are somewhat seasonal, right? we have like Sukkot in the fall, we have Pesach in the spring, um, that, you know, you try to buy something special, you sort of like, you love the thing so much, but you like want to wait until the actual holiday to wear it. So it feels like special on the holiday, right? But it's so hard because you hopefully, not always, you find something that like, it feels like, oh, this is amazing. And how to sort of tie that in to the holiday. I think it was easier, you know, if you had a parent telling you like, you absolutely cannot wear that until <laughs> the first day of Pesa, um, your new spring dresses. 
um, right? It could be February and you want to wear it because you're excited about it, right? So it's sometimes very simple, um, you know, indulgences that we can roll into Simcha. We saw this with Onik as well, um, okay? And meat and wine. Um, we're going to, again, think about the subjectivity here. Um, the bold, we're going to go and focus on a little bit more soon. But he noticed, he says, while eating and drinking, right, while you're busy enjoying and indulging, you also have to feed the stranger, the orphan, the widow, and other poor people, people who maybe don't have what to indulge in. Anyone who locks the door of their courtyard and eats and drinks along, right, in their home, along with their household, without giving anything to eat or drink to the poor, does not actually observe a religious obligation. Right? This is actually not simchat yom tov. You might think what you're doing is simchat yom tov, so the Roman is very harsh, but actually it's not. Einzo simchat mitzvah. There's no mitzvah here. Ela simchat krisa. That's just called having a good meal. But that's not what the mitzvah is. Um, and he actually goes so far as to say simcha kazo kalonhi. Um, that this type of joy is actually sort of an embarrassment. Um, it's a really interesting balance here on the one hand to be encouraged to indulge and encouraged to splurge a little bit within your mean, um, but also be reminded, we're going to look at this in the second section more, but also be reminded that really that's not the, that's not the mitzvah of simcha. Um, and we're going to think about why might it be so important? Yes, we have charity, but why specifically with simcha, right? Um, why might it be so important to um, to make sure um, that others, right, that we share with others, or that we know when we're sitting at our table that we made sure that other people had joy. So we're going to keep thinking about that. Um, and then the Rambam says, even though, yes, it's a commandment, enjoy, indulge, make all those desserts if you're excited to make them, right? People go over and above for um, Yom Tov. Um, but that's actually what it's not all about, right? He says you must be careful um, to not get to, it's not a big party, right? It's a very fine line. You're going to drink, you're going to dress up, you're going to hang out with everyone, but you're going to also try to remember what this is all about. I think that can be very, um, it can be very hard, a hard balance, um, right? Not too much joking, not too much um, lightheadedness, not right, not wildness. Don't do anything that you're going to regret after, right? This is this is not um, right a Mardi Gras celebration, right? So to think about a difference between um, um, the actual joy here, and this we're going to get to this in the last section as well. And think about what does this actually mean? Ella asimcha shiyeshba avodat but actually, where does our joy stem from? Yes, we're doing things that are that we actually as human beings enjoy, right? That give us happiness. It makes us happy to eat good things and spend time with people we like. Um, but that we should always keep in mind that this is a holiday and that um, it's joy that's a service to God um, and that we must keep that in mind. Um, I think that's a, a quite, um, we have to think about what are the ways in which we structure our joy less. We talked about structure and Shabbat. What are the ways we structure our joy? We saw sharing with others. Um, we are making sure people in our orbit are included and they have what to celebrate as well, but also reminding ourselves why we're celebrating in the first place. Um, 
The second source is um, a little bit of a, um, something that doesn't happen today, but sheds light on um, sometimes the wild aspect of parties. Like you just said, don't get too wild. Um, right? But then we also have this idea of Simchat Beit Hashoiba, which if anyone has looked at it in the Mishnah, I just brought the Ramam here, but there's a whole section um, towards the end of Sukkah, which talks about the big wild parties that they used to make, um, instruments, singing, dancing, right? Um, and that this is a religious duty, right? That there is actually an obligation on this part of the Simcha of Sukkot to have this kind of really big rabble-rousing party. If people know, this is also where we get the idea of Mechitza starting to get introduced in the later second double period from this period, from Simchat Beit HaShoifa, right? So this is sort of like a balance. Um, but I think it's really fascinating, right? If you thought about Oneg Shabbat, that Shabbat as a holy day is not about being ascetic and just reflecting on God all day, but actually thinking about what's going to give me pleasure and, and be restorative for me. That also rejoicing is sometimes just about letting go, being in the moment, jumping up and down, singing, right? Um, I don't know if that's how the Rambam would, would seize this Mishnah, but it seems to be that that's sometimes a big part of it. Um, but who is doing this? The holiest of people, the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, um, right? And other people came to watch. Um, so it's very interesting modeling that people who normally would be the ones who are running all of the religious practices are specifically the ones who model how to let loose in a way that shows honor to God. Um, but it seems like a very, very fine line. Um, I see a foil. Can you say more how it's a foil for the Yom Kippur service? That's interesting. Can I speak? <laughs> yeah. Go for it. No, I'm just thinking that the people are there for Rosh Hashanah and then Kippur and then yes. Sukkot. And there's so many, you know, there's this, you know, cycle of emotions. Yes. And Yom Kippur service, at least in the Beit HaMikdash, was a scary mm -hmm. um, uh, service because we weren't sure you know what's going to happen to the Kohen Gadol and now you know a week later they're dancing and rejoicing so you know it's like the Beit HaMikdash and the people can hold all these different types of emotions and and different you know ways of relating mm -hmm. to ourselves and Hashem and the world yeah thank you um I appreciate your your comment um, there are in the section in the Gemara there, it actually says that who were the, like, who was the head of the line partying first? Um, actually the people who had made mistakes in life and who had sinned and then they did Teshuvah and now they're feel like free and light. So there's definitely something about Zimchat HaShoeva coming after this very, um, time of deep, um, um, Teshuvah, right? That we have a very serious holy period, and then we can relax and feel like, okay, now we can enjoy, right? Some people at the end of the Yom Kippur service actually say like, your tequila has been accepted. Now go eat and drink and enjoy life. And that's getting ready for Sukkot, right? That we, it's a way that we believe that right, we can move forward from that and from a place of joy. Um, the Sephirah takes it in a different direction about the time of year um, in the next source. And he says, yeah, the reason it's great joy is because people are already happy. 
at this time of year. I think when we live in a agri non-agricultural society and don't live on the same cycle, right, that it's the end of the harvest season and people are already like, this is like, if they had a good harvest and it was a good year, they're feeling really good and they're already happy. They're already rejoicing. And so that's another name for this Chag Ha'asid, if we got to quote specifically. And that's why God made sure that we have specifically more rejoicing on Sukkot to give them zuhut. They're going to be partying anyway. Let's funnel that joy to remind them where does this all come from? Right? That the main joy will be for God's sake, may God be blessed. And since joy greatly elicits the physical and makes one forget the fear of God, we hear the echoes of the Rambam as well, right? If we're only focused on, oh, look what I have this year, look how much, you know, look how much I have for the coming year. Um, and we're just going to like enjoy the harvest and have like all night drinking parties because we're happy about it um, to actually then put a religious and divine perspective on it, right? To take a moment to remember and thank God and say hello for what we have. Um, right? That's where we get joy from. And it's well known that the nature of the four species is to gladden the hearts. Um, um, it must have been a wonderful sight. And I think thinking of the things that people look forward to, um, our baminim is something that a lot of people look forward to as well. There's something so physical. It's not only the halal, but you stand there with this beautiful arbaminim that people, some communities maybe only step one, maybe it's a mikdash, maybe hundreds. Um, and to see them all moving in unison and the, and um, that, that actually just makes people feel really happy. There's something very um, primitive about that. And then how to tap into that is maybe what um, part of this joy is. So thinking about as as uh, as a message from the Sefer Chinuch, are what are the times and are that we're maybe already joyous, right? If we're in an agri agricultural society, how do we sort of tap into this idea of simcha, um, reminding ourselves where our joy originates from? To go a little bit from um, another direction, um, what if we're not in a good place? Right? Pesach comes around. Um, this is a much bigger conversation, but I wanted to make sure to. Um, to bring um, to bring this idea in, right? It could be that there are hard things happening in the world, hard things happening in somebody's life. Um, they're really not in a place where, um, right? They're feeling they're feeling it. Um, so this is source number four is from Rav Kalanimus Kaman Shapira, who wrote um, book Ish Kodesh, um, which is published posthumously. He was um, a rabbi in the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, and he taught weekly in the Warsaw Ghetto, which was saved by Emanuel Ringelblum and his uh, Onik Shabbos project um, and published posthumously. Um, and he gave much, um, much Torah and um, much chizuk um, strength to those around him. Um, this was in 1939, sort of at the beginning of when things were starting to really change. Um, he says, and this is a translation, when the time comes for Pesach evening in Mari's prayer, so also this is not a practice of people want the sources, I'm happy to send them. Um, this is not a practice that I think is normative in main Ashkenazi communities, um, but it's a Sephardic custom, it's a Hasidic custom, um, and um, some uh, accepted it as well. They're not only saying halal at the Seder, but that at, we don't usually say halal at night, we say it twice. We say it first together as a community at um, Arbit, at Mariv, and then say it at home. He says, when it comes time, this is 1939 in Poland, you should rejoice in the tremendous fortune and the great privilege you have engaged in the Avodah of Pesach. 
He also talks about the joy of cleaning for Pesach, which if people want that article, it's tries to get you to a place. This was way before World War II that he wrote that, but um, definitely a, a different mindset next for next year for cleaning for Pesach. I'm happy to send it to anybody. So he says, you should say to yourself, my joy is without bounds that I've been granted the opportunity to achieve my purpose in the world and to be elevated to the upper spheres. True, I have my problems, both material and spiritual, but for now I discard them. The entire world is no longer important. Sorry, it should be, is no longer important to me. My only thought is to praise and glorify the great name and draw down the holy splendor of Hagadosh Baruch, whose light into the world, into my own soul and the souls of my family. And then a person will be imbued with such holiness that they're replete with sorrow when they finish each word. If only he could go back and recite the hollow another thousand times, he would do so. His whole being is at one with his creator as he recites words of incredible sweetness, the Haggadah laying open in front of him. One must endeavor to provide a sanctuary for the holiness of this night so that it will abide for the whole year. Light is like a seedling. At the beginning, it requires our nurturing and our efforts to foster its growth. So what I hear, um, and again, this could be a whole class in and of itself, um, but what I hear him saying is, um, take this moment. Be present in this moment because things are going to get very hard. And how can you use this moment to be present and to have it feed you and nurture you for the coming year? Like how do we think of these um, moments of simcha um, to really be present for them? And it's not, it's definitely not easy, right? As uh, as the Ishkoda shows us here. So that was our, our first section, um, really thinking about Simchat Yom Tov. Um, we're gonna think about Simchat Yom Tov for another minute, right? Um, of like, be happy now. Um, in the section of Bitimi Misameach, what brings true joy? So the Rambam mentioned already, we saw about what true mitzvah Simcha is, that one cannot only worry about their bellies, right? but also must make sure that others are getting joy. Um, so repeats again here on Purim. Uh, even if one doesn't have the means to send presents, you should exchange. Everybody sends um, what they prepared and you just switch with somebody, even if you can't afford to buy something new, because there's something so powerful. There's an idea of Michelle Hanna being about, about friendship and engendering friendship is one of the major ideas behind it, according to many, that there's something about even exchanging something, um, right, that, um, that brings joy um, and, and engenders a communal feeling. Um, one must give charity specifically on Purim for the meal and to not be discriminating on that day, which I think is very, um, it, depending where you live and how many people are asking, it's sort of asking you to, to um, think what you can do. Um, to not say, I don't know if this person really needs it. In some places, I don't even know if this person right, observes Purim, but they just know that, well, I'm saying today, this is a day when we, if we can, right, to our level, give. We don't discriminate. Um, and one should give anybody who's asking. Um, and the famous idea here, it's preferable for a person to be more liberal with their donations to better to spend more money on than to have a big meal and to make super cute, fancy and send them to 200 people. Um, that I think many communal rabbis um, have repeated this rabbi. I think it's worth repeating in terms of like what actually brings us joy. Right. Who do we feel like we can give a Mishlach Manatu that'll like 
bring them joy that day. Um, and um, it, who can we um, um, who can we um, give to? Um, he says, there's no greater she'in sham simcha gedola mechoeret ela samech lev aniyim yitamin v'amayot v'gevim. To make others happy, especially those who maybe don't have what we have. Yeah, Lauren I was just thinking about like the way we give our various gifts and portions um, on Purim, like now versus like a thousand years ago. And like when I give my my like alms to the poor on Purim, I send it on like a digital payment, you know? Whereas yeah. when I give my Mishloch Manot, I normally give it to like a friend face to face and I get to see that they're happy. Yes. And I, I think I think in the Rambam's time when they were probably like literally going and like giving coins or giving food to people who needed it, there was probably a much more like interpersonal experience. And I think that really affects our like, you know, like human sensory brains. Yes. Um, yeah, the act of the act of giving that we're thinking about, right? Why? Um, thank you for trying to um, think that through with us. Like why this? Yes, people should have what they need. That makes sense. On these days, give tzedakah makes sense. But how that simcha, right? I think, Lena, is what you were trying to get at. Like how is that act of giving actually making me feel the true joy that I should be feeling that day? Um, and he says that, um, that's actually, that's what's divine. Like we can elevate ourselves to a higher level. Um, if we can feel like we made someone's day and actually sometimes like bringing Michelle off my note to somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of friends or maybe isn't really getting them. doesn't have a lot of family. Like that could help make their day. Um, and there's something that it, that can do right. Knowing that having that feeling, um, really lifts us up in a way that, yeah, like a yummy, not huge Hashi fan, but like meeting, having something really delicious. Yeah, that's nice, right? And knowing that you like rocked your, you know, costume, Mishloch Manot theme, you're like, oh, my pictures are amazing. Like, I'm so happy, right? But like, there's a different kind of joy. Um, but knowing that maybe you made someone's day or made something possible that wouldn't have happened for them that day can really enlarge our own sense um, of joy that day. Um, and that's what the Maserokech and others comment here. Um, right, that actually it's our merit, right? Once we start training ourselves that like when we're in moments when we're indulging, um, that actually that's a big zhut, right? Ashreno, like you're so fortunate if you can, um, right, not only have for yourself, but you can actually start to like have your radar open and like open your heart in that way um, that it really um, elevates your simcha. Um, is what the Maserokeach adds here. Um, I just want to add one small idea here about since we're on Purim that we say Mishinichas Adar Marbim Simcha. And I mentioned, yeah, we started thinking about our costumes and our themes. Like, oh my goodness. Um, right? It's so fun to start posting. Um, but actually, what's, what was actually started happening at the beginning of Adar um, is that they started collecting the half shekel, they made the pronouncement. They started collecting the half shekel, which went to the temple to fix the temple and to do a lot of infrastructure that the community needed. They started to fix the road so people would be able to come for Pesach. Um, so I think there is something really powerful um, in thinking about these times of joy, not only as personally, who can we affect, but also like institutionally, 
Yes, there are nonprofits, there are charities. We're meaning how do we think institutionally, or you mentioned paying online, but how do we think about creating um, systems where we have um, literally like fixed the pathways, right? For those to be able to enjoy the holidays. Um, I think that's a very big part of what Adar was about um, and where this idea comes from. Um, there's also an idea on Kareem of, of not doing melacha. I think it's right custom dependent and depending whether one can or not, it's not a yom tov in the same way. Um, but there's an idea, even in those places where the custom is you don't do other work that day, um, that actually if it's a melacha, right, that is going to bring joy, you're actually doing something for other people that's going to make them happy, then sure, you can do that on Kareem. That's, that's like on brand for Kareem. You should do that. Don't wait another day. Um, or even uh, an orchard that's going to bring fruit for people, meaning if what you're doing is going to enrich other people's lives, then you can do that on Kareem. Um, and of course, um, mitzvot, right, um, can be done that day. And, um, and of course, the needs of Kareem. I think we say, of course, now it seems to be a much, have been a much more live discussion in earlier generations. Um, to Linaz's point, um, I know I'm not, I'm, people probably have read many more books on the science of happiness. There's like that Yale course that now is on Coursera, which like thousands of people have taken. Um, so there's a book, um, Happy Money by Elizabeth Dunn. And um, she writes, whether the amount is five or 500, we gain more long-term subjectively rated happiness if we give cash to other people than spend it on ourselves. Let me repeat that. We gain more long-term happiness if we give cash to other people rather than spend it on ourselves. The more we can see the impact of, spent, of that spending, um, either in numbers, but I think giving online also, if we can see that this many people are fed by the amount of money I gave and these many people now have meals or this many people now have medical right, needs that they have, um, the better we feel. It actually makes us feel good. And, right? So the Rambam says it and right, modern, um, science says it as well. Um, um, just as a little side point before we get to making um, uh, brides and grooms happy, um, there's an idea of right people who cheer up other people, um, right people who just like they have a sense of humor and they look around and like sometimes it's actually annoying. I think for people right because they're like. Right. But sometimes actually just that someone pays attention to you for a moment, um, right? Hasidic, many Hasidic masters write on this section um, in terms of what does that mean um, to cheer people up? Like, what does that take from us, um, right? What does it mean to like notice somebody, acknowledge them, um, have a little chat with them, maybe, you know, try to um, be friendly and like how far that can go that these people get into the world to come. Um, so people don't have to share in the chat before I move on to the next section. Um, I want to reflect on that idea of, of making others happy and how that enriches our happiness. This might be something that feels obvious to you. Um, it might be something that doesn't feel as obvious to you. Um, but maybe just take a moment and reflect on um, reflect on a time um, that that was that that was the case. Um, if you want to share in the chat, um, you know that's uh, that's welcome as well. Um, but to really think about those moments and sort of how those moments give us um, joy in the moment, but also that long lasting feeling of like, it's a, a deeper, richer feeling sometimes. Um, we're gonna look a little bit about um, the idea of making a bride and groom happy. 
Um, and also the idea that actually a couple, especially in the first year, um, should make each other happy. And I think while this is a very specific mitzvah for a bride and groom, um, we just saw the idea of making others happy. And I think as we as we read this, we can think about, you know, where do these ideas take us? Um, where do these halachot of making them happy? What lessons can we learn from them um, about making other people happy or bringing joy? Um, right, so um, like Avi mentioned about the connection, Emelina has mentioned that as well, um, that making a connection with someone else, um, right, then we're also strengthened by that perhaps. Um, So the Gemara in Brachot um, says, Amaravashi, um, Igra de Hilule Mile. The reward, the Igra that one gets for going to a Hilula, for going to a wedding or a party is for the words. What does it mean, the words? So Rashi says, for the, the Sameach, right, Chatan Kedvarim, that you like say good things. You like come and you're not only right with your body language present, but you actually make sure um, to. We're so happy for you. Like this is so exciting. Um, I think sometimes that can be very challenging because um, sometimes maybe like hard to work up the like oh everybody's around like I don't need to do it like everybody else is like mommy and I'm like I don't need to give my two cents um, right or maybe you know you're not in a place where you're feeling that. Um, but there's actually something really powerful um, that Ravashi says here, that there's something that's really significant in making sure that you don't leave that wedding um, without having said something to the bride and groom in a way of joining in their happiness, but also lifting them up with your words. Um, people might fami be familiar with this, so the famous Mahlokit of Hillel and Shammai of whether one can lie at a wedding, like little white lies. Um, and we go with the opinion that people can say little while, this is beautiful, this is amazing, right? You're, you're such a great cup, right? Meaning once you're at that moment, like those are the places that we go to at the wedding. Um, and and that's that's our mitzvah there, um, right? And the Shulchan Aruch says, even you have to delight and dance before them and put on a big show um, and just tell them, you're so beautiful, you're amazing, you're going to be such a great couple. Um, even if, Right? They're not the most beautiful couple in the world. It's not the most beautiful wedding in the world, right? Might not even be the most fun wedding, um, but to really make sure that you, in some way, um, people sometimes have their things that they do at weddings. And I think we sometimes develop like, what's our thing? Because um, it's like, like, it's a lot of pressure and social awkwardness. Like, what's our thing that we bring to that wedding? Um, we also balance that simcha, the actual bride and groom we see, and people might be familiar with some of these customs, the breaking of the glass for sure. Um, some places put ashes, meaning there's a balance here, even in this time of great joy, um, that we also notice things that are incomplete. Um, we break the glass. Um, and uh, sometimes um, people would recruit at them, right? People would do wild and crazy things. At that time, it also seemed like the weddings might have gone all night. From some of the sources that I read, they would have been big parties. Um, some places weddings still do all night. It really just depends on your traditions and your customs. Um, and there's a note at the end, met the kalash zebazet. So in, in the times that they're talking about, there would actually be funeral processions, I think we're somewhat a little more familiar with that doesn't happen that often, right? Where there'll be a procession in the actual main right, thoroughfare passing by a place, 
on people following. Um, it would be the hearse, right? It wouldn't actually be, um, but that will be happen. And then there's a bridal procession. They used to take the bride and put her on this familiar, this big chair and walk her through, um, right, the town. And then they sort of meet. And then it's like, who gets presents? Um, and so there's an idea here that now the bridal procession um, goes first, that they don't follow, right? Imagine having the wedding um, being put in the place of being, right, following the funeral. So on the one hand, we're going to give both their respect, um, but the bride goes first, right, that the celebration is allowed to continue um, in its full way. Um, there's also an idea, um, and I think I'm going to bring one um, maybe surprising source about this, um, of at least for the first year, um, right, of, of um, making each other happy. Hopefully it's more that, right, that people work on it more than the first year, but there's an idea of really dedicating the first year to this. Um, so much so that they get dispensation, right? When a man marries a new wife, he shouldn't go to the army. He shouldn't charge with any new business, meaning not to take long business trips. He should be naki. That's actually seen, we're going to see as a positive commandment, to be available, to be present um, for his wife. Wife is also in, right? Wife and house are um, often interchangeable in the, um, in the Mishnah and Tamud, um, right? based on this, some of these ideas here. For one year, why? To make happy the wife whom he has taken. Um, so there's many people speak about this idea of the first year. Um, I think what's interesting to me about this source, and we'll see the Nitziv explore, even though he goes in a little bit of a different direction than we might know. Um, like besides the wedding itself, right, showing up and like for that one moment, what are the obligations? We talked about institutions of charity, right, and individual acts of charity um, at times of joy. But what are the responsibilities we have either as individuals in, in the moment but also as communities to create space for people to actually um, dig into right, the joyful things in their life and not be distracted by other obligations. Um, so that's, we're gonna see the Nitziv explains that that's really what this mitzvah is all about. Um, and also giving ourselves that space. Um, so this is from a book called Shalmei Simcha. There's another book, Shalmei Simcha, which is about all of the laws of Yom Tov. Um, that's not this book. Um, this is a book only about um, the idea, this, this idea of the Misameach, um, the first year, and all the laws. Um, he says, there's an opinion of an itziv that the mitzvah is only obligatory on others, but for the groom is discretionary. Where we thought we show up to the wedding, we make them happy, and then it's kind of like on them. Right, like, all right, good luck, you know, like. Um, so he writes, in all regards, when it comes to the groom, the Rambam, and pretty much all the compilations of mitzvot mention that there's both a positive and negative mitzvah, right? On the one hand, to be available, to be naki, and on the other hand, right, lo said, don't go out, don't be distracted by long trips or other big obligations when you're trying, right, that first year. Um, even if the person wanted to, then maybe they shouldn't. Um, then it's Steve and the Hamek Davar, right? Actually, to make his wife happy, um, we can think about this being mutual, right? I think in those days, it was probably um, who was actually going out more, um, right? Being called out more 
um, either for the army or for work. Um, but I think we can think of this right in a non-gendered way. Um, he says it's actually not a positive obligation to make his wife happy the entire first year, right? And rabbinically, it's only one week, right? The whole active part, if you think of an actual mitzvah, an obligation that one may not do this and they have to stay home and be available, is actually not the case. There's rather the truth is that the explanation of make his wife happy is that it's discretionary. It's a reshoot. He may, um, even though everybody else, there's so much going on in the world and there's so much to do. But actually, what's going on in your life, this relationship is more important. That's what the Torah is trying to tell us. There's a real value in having simcha, just the couple together. And that needs to be protected. And that's what this mitzvah is all about. Um, but if he wants to go, he can go. Okay, if this is surprising, then Steve writes, um, right? Because it seems like it's a positive commandment, right? And he says there's no difficulty. The essence of the verse in the Torah merely cautions the king or like the like, meaning people who are going to obligate you um, to not violate this, but the person themselves is, if they want to, permitted to engage in other things that year that might take them away for a bit. Um, the rationale is the warning that this is a new, right, a new marriage, and they may be having a put down roots in life. And if he's distracted, it's possible that the bind, that, right, that the connection will break completely. But absent any coercion, right, not being forced, drafted, or forced to go somewhere because of work or other responsibilities, if he wants, he's permitted. But then it's even, and again, caution says, but he should not go if it's not certain that he will return with, um, right, with love. Um, I think that these sources, even though it's specifically about a couple in a specific mitzvah, simcha, um, I think really have a lot to say about um, how we deal with our relationships and when it's, when, like, what are our priorities and obligations. Um, and how to value a relationship um, in a way that it deserves protecting um, on the one hand. And then to see here, I think is trying to say like, if you feel like you're in a good place, um, you should have permission to do other things. Um, many understand this to be the opposite. Um, but then to see is really trying to push, um, push others not to put pressure. Um, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, um, uh, about family leave um, right, there are times in life that like need to be protected and then actually like institutionally need to be protected, right? That those relationships, that time, right, it's needed. You need the time and the space. Um, and I think that the Nisib um, discusses that really beautifully. Um, one more idea um, on, on this topic. This is also a big topic, but I wanted to just touch on it. Um, there's a concept of ein ma'arvin simcha v'simcha, um, that we don't mix too many happinesses together. What does that mean, right? We don't try to get like a twofer um, when it comes to happy occasions. Um, this manifests in a couple of ways in halakha, and we can think about this in a bigger way. Um, so the Shulchan Aruch here is talking about, right, this is uh, in countries where Rabbeinu Gershom does not hold, um, and I, I think you know, he's not advising people to marry. He's just saying the basic um, halakha, um, if one does, right? That you can actually have two weddings in one day um, for a man. 
Um, but you actually need to make sure that you make each one happy, right? You have to have Sheva Brachot for each one and you actually have to be able to do that, right? So that's, again, not gonna probably happen with more than one at a time. He says, Ein ma'arvin simcha v'simcha, right? That you can't try to lump too many happinesses together. Um, the Ramah, Ramah Eshelis adds here, that you may not make a chupah for two sisters. Maybe it happens to be they're close in age. And for the family to make two occasions would be very expensive, but you actually have to make sure, I brought from the separate that you make separate, big, even if it's the same people coming to both, um, a lot of the same people, you may not join them together. Um, this idea comes from Rachel and Leah, um, not necessarily a model story um, about how to have happy, happy marriages, but the idea that right, there had to be the week first celebrated um, after the mix-up wedding, really uh, before I could even think about um, marrying Rachel. So you at least have to give each one its time. And that was not even a wedding that he was like, hoping for. Um, and then my adds are those who say, even with two unrelated people, one should be careful to make a chupah both at the same time. You can't have two weddings at once um, because of jealousy. Maybe they're going to get more honor. Imagine on this special day that we just said, like, that's the day that everybody can say white lies and put you up on a pedestal. And then, like, you're going to have to think about someone else. Like, that's not what that day is about. Um, what's fascinating is that um, he then says, actually, us in 16th century Poland, we're actually, we don't, we're not careful about this. We don't worry about the jealousy too much because of the financial situation that people are in. Um, that just the opposite. We actually, if there's a rich family that's gonna have a chupah, we try to find a poor family that can sort of join in. And so that both um, can have that simcha. Um, so it's interesting that it goes back to the idea of that, that, that sharing one's joy with others, um, that to make sure that everybody has beautiful celebrations that maybe in some cases, the right thing to do is to put it together. Um, so it's a really interesting idea to think about giving each moment its own joy um, and that actually piling on two things actually takes away. And that not um, just having that adequate focus on that one aspect. Um, the second, well, I didn't put those sources here, but the second implication of this idea of in Arvind Simcha Simcha is that we don't have weddings on holidays. Because the idea is that you're going to be focused on the wedding and it's going to take away from um, your holiday experience, like on Kolam Um, That we try to make sure that, like, even though it would seem intuitive that, um, oh, we're already happy, right? That, that like the idea that the harvest festival is a holiday, we're already happy. So like, let's like add something to it. Um, and what does that mean? People have thoughts about this for uh, to the next, like what does that mean um, to you that um, trying to join together two aspects of happiness or like doubling your fun, so to speak, actually takes away from what you're there to do. Anybody has, uh, has ideas, you can put it in the chat or raise your hand. people with, uh, with that question. Um, I think there are some times as we see that maybe it does make sense um, to, um, I can think of at least two, two occasions. Purim, actually you're allowed to do weddings 
Um, and I can think of several occasions where there was already a beautiful meal that was going to be happening on Purim and a wedding um, or some other simcha was arranged at a time that was like, okay, giving in its own time, but to tack on to the communal celebration so that it could actually feel like a big happy party because maybe financially or time-wise, right? Maybe that many people wouldn't have shown up or wouldn't have been that happy. And so there are times that maybe it works, but a lot of the time um, it needs to be distinct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravani, your, your screen share was just flashing quite a lot. Um, oh. I was wondering if you could like unshare it and then share it again yes, to I'm see if that fixes sharing. it. Thank you so much. And and also, yeah, I like that. I never really thought before about like the different ways mitzvahs make us happy. And yeah, I'm I'm still thinking I'll come with a more coherent thought in a second. <laughs> right. Right. We didn't think happiness is like happiness is happy, right? There's that famous Tolstoy quote as being a credit, like happy families are ha- are like, you know, all happy in the same way. It's only when you come to like, I should know the quote by half right now, but right, it's unhappy families, right, are are um each in their own way. Um, but actually there's so many different types of joy um, and so many different ways to come to joy and also to like be present and honor that joy. Um, that I think can extend past these specific, um, it's what we're talking about. So on that note, we're going to um, close with the bigger idea of to serve God from a place of Mecca, which is a huge lifelong effort. Um, that we're only going to really scratch the surface um, in this class that's mostly focused on the halachic aspect. Um, is the share working okay now? Is it still splitting or it's good? Okay, good. Um, so here's a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, Enthusiasm is one of the most powerful engines of success. When you do a thing, do it with all your might. Sounds familiar from the Shema. Put your whole soul into it. Also sounds familiar from the Shema. Stamp it with your own personality. Be active, be energetic, be enthusiastic and faithful, and you will accomplish your object. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Um, I get tired just reading that. Um, so again, like this section, I think is uh, aspirational um, to think about what does it mean besides specific times of year, besides specific happy communal occasions, like what does simcha mean on a day-to-day basis? What is that religious state of simcha that's being talked about? Uh, the Sefer Hasidim says, um, serve God in joy and also serve God in fear. Um, it's a little bit heavy, but it puts in perspective put things in perspective. Um, and that's what that, right, to have a balance in life. Um, there's two Gemara here, one from Brachot and one from Shabbat. Um, there's a famous idea of what's the state of being that we approach prayer from. Um, this again, would be a whole class on its own because as we know, our famous models for prayer, Hana, um, which is on that page of Gemara, approached, uh, right, no one would say she was in a state of Simcha, when she approached her to be Latifi, and she's our model for Amida and how we pray. So a lot to think about there. Um, but we'll look at the Mishnah and think about what they mean by this. That one may need to stand to pray from atzavot or atzilut, from laziness or from laughter, from conversation, from frivolity, or from um, purposeless uh, matters like kalut lush, um, But you should approach it mitoch simcha shel mitzvah that there's some type of joy. Is it kavana? Is it thinking about what you're there to do in the moment? Thinking about what a prayer is going to do for you? Um, but there's a moment of 
um, kavana that's being talked about in this section, a moment of mindfulness that one takes a moment from whatever they're coming from before they pray to enter into it. And that can be called simcha shalmitzvah, that moment of mindfulness. Um, The Gemara also um, in Shabbat repeats um, repeats that idea, kind of what is Simchas Shemitzvah and what isn't. Um, the Mishnah Torah, which we looked at, um, which we looked at before, um, this is the continuation of that idea. Um, but actually, a person might. We said we talked about feeling good um, when we make others feel good. But actually, like, what does doing good things do to us? Right? There's something about the connection. What about like when? when we do mitzvot in general, um, or we feel a moment when we feel faith, um, that that's a supreme form of divine worship. Um, and that there's something humbling um, about these moments where we put ourselves in situations um, and that can be deeply fulfilling and that fulfillment can be called joy, um, says the Rambam. Um, the Magid Mishnah, which is a commentary on the Rambam, adds that actually the Ikar is that it's not appropriate to like, if you come to it from, mm, have to do this, right? Um, then you're going to feel weighed down. Um, but there's a way that obligation can bring joy and fulfillment. Um, maybe if we understand that there's purpose, right? If we do something that we feel that there's deep meaning and purpose here. And that's what the Meganation is. What is that joy actually? Yeah, okay, we have to do it. And maybe we didn't feel like doing it before. What are the places we get ourselves to? To understand that maybe this is why I'm here, to serve God. And like, I'm actually just doing what I'm here. Like, we're not always sure why we're here, right? And maybe in this moment, I feel like I'm doing what's expected of me. And I feel connected to God or I feel connected to the world around me. And for that moment, I can feel happy and joyous in that. Right? It's a very different kind of happiness or joy than we spoke about in the previous section. Um, right? It's not inconsequential. Um, it's not going to be fleeting, you know, once the holiday's over. Um, but actually, this is something that maybe is a feeling that we can continue to tap into um, in those moments. Um, I want to close with um, these ideas from uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. In his book, Letters to the Next Generation, where he writes these fictional letters um, to, um, to various people um, who are supposed to represent you know, the future generation. And so one of them is a letter before Yom Kippur. And he says, so this, in my last letter to you before Yom Kippur, let me share with you 10 secrets I've learned from Judaism. They will bring you happiness, whatever fate has in store for you in the coming year. Number one, give thanks. Once a day at the beginning of the morning prayers, Thank God for all God has given you. This alone will bring you halfway to happiness. We tend to take things for granted and concentrate instead on our unfulfilled desires. Giving thanks in prayer focuses attention on the good and helps us keep a sense of proportion about the rest. So giving thanks. Seems again, counterintuitive, but many like hundreds of articles written about how gratitude can actually um, help us feel less habituated in what we're used to um, and can actually bring us to states of happiness, like creating a cult culture of cultivating that practice. And he says, number nine, create moments of silence within the soul. Liberate yourself with only five minutes a day from the tyranny of technology, the mobile phone, the laptop, all the other, we talked about this at Shabbat last week, 
Um, but this is a daily thing. Remember that God is in every breath you breathe. Breathe, inhale the heady air of existence and feel the joy of being. Right? So there's kind of a mindfulness or a presence um, that's being encouraged in these sources, which again, I think is highly aspirational. So we looked at some very concrete ways of um, bringing joy to ourselves, ways that we feel happy and bringing joy to others. Um, and that, right, the idea of putting ourselves in a place, making ourselves smaller, um, having perspective, giving gratitude and having humility, um, again, seem counterintuitive, but these sources over and over again in modern writings on science of happiness seem to think that it, um, it, it works. Um, so thank you all um, for joining. Um, I encourage, you know, if people have questions, um, I can always stay on for a few minutes. I know that you know, I want to respect people's time, but if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them or happy to, you know, speak more offline. Um, but thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to just say a few thank yous. If people have questions, feel free to put them in the comments or just wait till afterwards. But I have some announcements for people before you go. First of all, thank you so much, Ramani Victoria, for another amazing class. After last week, I was like, is there anything else to learn about happiness? There's so much more to learn about happiness. Um, and thank you to everyone for questions and comments and contributions. Um, the learning community is what makes Drusha so great. Um, if you find joy in the Mitzvah of Talmud Torah, I have some announcements for you. We are approaching the deadline for our summer kollel in New York and our online summer kollel. Um, so make sure you put your application in if you're interested in the Drisha summer kollel. Um, you can find uh, you can find the application as well as all of our other. Uh, morning, afternoon, and evening classes for us, Sphera Zman on drisha.org. Um, and uh, this is the second of five classes, and next week, this same time, same place for our third one. Um, yeah, thank I'll you just... so much. I hope thank to you. see you all next week. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. Have a great Bye. Week. Bye.